Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing fine, Bruce. I'm doing fine. Big night. The Oilers drafted a player, a young player from the Quebec League, an attacking forward, skilled forward Xavier Borgo, with, what was it, the 22nd overall pick in the NHL draft? 22nd officially, 21st in reality, because uh, uh, Arizona Coyotes had a pick stripped from them. So... They uh, had number eleven, but they lost it due to some transgressions during the uh, during the uh, uh, what do they call that prospect get together? Anyway, they, they uh, the thing draft they do mood? just yeah the thing they do just before the draft or they used to and they 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 broke some rules and they had two draft picks a second last year and a first this year taken away from oh, them. Oh, the combine so, is that the it? combine? Yeah, yeah. It was they, before the combine. <clears throat> They did yeah, that. yeah. They, they were did, doing they, it throughout the year, right? They did yeah. stuff that was for verboten, and they got uh, they got slapped down hard. So anyway, that tw- so you can say twenty first, but it'll go in the books as number twenty two. And they had number twenty, but they chose to uh, trade down to add an extra draft pick late in the third round. So, so we'll talk about that, Bruce. We will talk mm-hmm. about um, the. Uh, the signing essentially of Zach Hyman. We don't know exactly the term, but his age, both Elliot Friedman said it's a done deal. He's coming to Edmonton and his agent has, has said the same mm-hmm. that Zach Hyman is coming here. And there's also a little comment uh, from Elliot Friedman um, that our colleague, Kurt Levins is reporting about um, one of the reasons Larson leaving Edmonton uh, having to do with some, essentially a, a pretty prickly fan base. So we'll talk about, We'll talk about that because that's got people, certainly got people up in arms. Um, Bruce, let's start with the draft. Uh, I'll just say, first of all, like, I haven't watched any of these players. So I I can't say who's a good player, who's a bad player, whether it was this is a good pick, whether this is a bad pick. I, I did look at where the 17 top public experts, you know, from Bob McKenzie and, um, uh, people like uh, Low Tide and um, here's a list: uh, Steve Kurianis, Scott Wheeler, Corey Pronman, um, Ryan Kennedy, Craig Button. You get the idea. Seventeen of these people uh, who mm-hmm. rate them every year, and they do watch them, yep. uh, and they, they are far more expert, <clears throat> and they rank the players. So, um, what I like to do is see where is the, what's the consensus of the experts. And on Xavier Borgo, the consensus is that he was the 25th best player in this draft from the experts. And the high was the highest person was Alan Mitchell of Low Tide. Mm-hmm. And Alan Low Tide Mitchell is another way of putting it. And yep. the second highest with Brad Bullet Brad McPherson. Blue Bullet Brad. Blue Bullet Brad. And what I know about these two guys, especially Low Tide, Low Tide, I think, really just just essentially tries to go by the numbers. Yep. Tries to do as much as he can, just use and just yep. do the math and look at their point scoring. Any anything else mm-hmm. he can go by in terms of a number, that's mainly what he has for most of them, is point mm-hmm. scoring. And rate rate them on that because he yep. really believes that's a good way. And so and you know, I've looked at past drafts and one on one year out of I think I've looked at three drafts and one low tides has a pretty good record mm-hmm. in terms yep. of pre- predicting future success. 
So he yep. had Xavier Borgo higher than anyone else in this draft, 14th overall. So what tells okay. me what this tells me, Bruce, is that the math likes this player quite a bit. Really, his his numbers from the Quebec League, I think it was like, how many points did he get? Uh, what did he get last year? Anyway, his numbers are good. And the Brad, Bullet Brad also goes by the numbers. And then he blends in the consensus of the experts. Like he has right. his own list of experts. And then he, it's I think it's about 50-50. And he had the same player higher, 17th mm-hmm. overall. They were the highest, the lowest of the of the experts. Well, Sean Patrick Ryan, who who sometimes writes for the Cult of Hockey and has got a good eye for talent, he didn't have uh, Borgo in his top 31. That's he only ranks up to 31 players. Right. And Steve Kurnianis, um, the draft analyst, he had him the lowest was 46th overall by Kurnianis. Right. Uh, so wow. Bruce, um, the owners didn't reach to take this player. They um, they took him right where this he was expected to be taken right in this area right. of the draft. It rem, it reminds me of two picks in recent years, the Jordan Eberle pick, another mm-hmm. uh, highly skilled attacking forward. I think that the numbers liked, and Kyler Yamamoto, another highly skilled attacking forward, taken at about twenty twenty something early twenty something. Draft. Both went at exactly number 22, the exact same number that uh, Borgo mm-hmm. went. All three were our smallish, right-shot, skilled forwards. Yeah, so there's there's that. So, yeah. again, we haven't seen this player. We can't comment on him, but there's that. Yeah. What do you exactly. think? Yeah, well, further to your rankings, I mean, Bob McKenzie's uh, consensus ranking had him at number 20, McKean's Hockey at 21, Sportsman at 22, uh, Dauber Prospects, which is one of the uh, uh, services I cited in my post, had him at number 15. And on the other hand, Draft Prospects Hockey, who I also cited in my post, had him at 35. And basically that was kind of the range. But I mean, you look at all these rankings, what, 6, 8, 10, 12, 15 different rankings listed here where, where I'm looking at it, which is his page on EliteProspects.com. And you know he was he was rated fairly highly. The lowest one here was number 37 uh, by Elite Prospects themselves, and otherwise, uh, you know, all the way up to 15 or so. And as you say, uh, Alan Mitchell had him at 14. And Alan, you know, he's been doing this for quite some time now, and he's quite open about you know his methodology. He's not saying it's right. What he wants is something different that's done in a different manner just to give sort of a different view, just like we look at scoring chances different from from how natural stat trick does. You know, open a second eye on the subject. Maybe it'll show you something you didn't expect. And he doesn't pretend that his his rankings are better or for that matter worse, just that they're just a different way of, of uh, analyzing uh, the paltry bit of information that we've got. And it's not necessarily better than eyes on, but it, you know, it's sort of a, a check and balance. Just shows you because I think Alan has Alan's list has proven to be useful, and mm-hmm. some years it's some years has been the best list or the second best list in, in terms of identifying talent. It just shows you how uh, strong mm-hmm. a proxy point scoring is mm-hmm. for real talent, mm-hmm. both for forwards and defensemen. People mm-hmm. in hockey who can put up points on the attack are usually pretty damn good hockey players and better than the other guys who don't put up the points. And often, if you just go by that, you don't know anything else. You don't even, you, 
you right. don't have to watch the players. You're just going by that one metric, points scored. It's a pretty good metric. And it's been in hockey for, it's been in hockey for, well, since the start. Over a century, yeah. Well, since the, I think the first goal was recorded in the 1870s, late 1870s. So 100 and, uh, 150 years of the point and still going strong as, as probably the best stat to go by in terms of rating a hockey player. So there they, you go. They did goals originally. It took them just until about the 1920s to really start getting assists down. But yeah. uh, they, uh, if you look at the early league, you see guys that had 22 goals and one assist and stuff, and you kind of wonder how they're tracking them. But, uh, I mean, Alan Smith, just for one example, uh, picked out Andrew Mangiapane in his draft year, uh, the year, and I think Mangiapane actually went undrafted, and I think it was the second year that he got picked something like 166 overall. And, you know, I mean, how likely is that a guy in his, you know, picked way down there in the sixth round, and yet uh, here he is in the NHL and a rising star, as far as I can see, down there in uh, in Calgary. That, uh, uh, that you know, the, the math, as Alan puts it, you know, the stats, single him out as a prospect of interest, even though <clears throat> scouts were poo-pooing him for being too small or too this or not enough that. And the stats turned out, didn't lie. So, Bruce, the Oilers, uh, there was, <laughs> when isn't there controversy? When isn't there controversy? And it, it always surprised me in the draft because how many people actually watch these players? I mean, at least when you're talking about like Duncan Keith or Zach Hyman, uh, people have seen these players a bit usually and or or a lot but mm-hmm. with with these drafted players people most people haven't s- seen them play at all but there was uh, doesn't don't sell owners fan short when it comes to stirring up stirring the pot and complaining and getting mad there was a fair bit of it today uh i noticed uh in, on social media because uh, there was a rumor the owners were going to take a goalie mm-hmm. and i think that the owners if sebastian cosa the, the gigantic and talented goalie for the Oil Kings have been available at 19. It's pretty obvious that there's war going to take that goalie. When he was so. taken 15th overall by Detroit, did they dr- trade up to get that pick? Um, yes. Yeah. They per- so, traded past the Oilers to get up to 15. Yeah. So right don't when they made the trade, I was going, you know, there goes Detroit. There goes Eisenman zooming past Edmonton, watch him take the goalie. And sure enough. So, <laughs> so, People, though, thought then, because there was two goalies, and actually, according to the experts, the, you know, the public experts at least, mm-hmm. um, there's a Swedish goalie by the name of Jesper Wallstad, and oh. he was rated by, now, Kosa was rated, uh, the consensus for him was 19th overall, okay, and for Wallstad, it was 10th. So the experts thought he was going to get taken 10th, the consensus idea was, and um, Costa 19th. So when um, it looked like one of those two goalies was going to fall to the Oilers, is, and you could see that by about the mid, like the 14th pick, you could see there's only one other team there that's going to think about right. taking, and, and the other ones aren't. So I thought, oh, the Oilers are going to get one of these goalies if they want one. Right. Turns out they didn't. Turns out that Jesper... Jesper Wallstadt was not as high on the Oilers list as it was on um, the consensus of experts list. It doesn't mean the Oilers are wrong. 
the consensus the consensus in these drafts in terms of predicting who's going to be a good player often is like not very strong at all for doing that individual people making picks are often better than the consensus is what i've seen in analyzing three drafts really closely and um so um what the oilers decided to do was to trade their uh, their pick and move down two slots and uh and then get a the 90th overall pick in this draft and I, I, I actually think that's just general in a, in a general sense, uh, it always comes down to who you, you pick with these players. But in a general sense, this is a good idea. Um, I think they didn't get bad value in, mm-hmm. in terms of moving down two slots. I think it was right. worth about the, the worth, the value they mm-hmm. gave up of moving down two slots was about the same as a 90th pick. But you're, you're multiplying your chances every time you take another player. Right. So you, you're there's there's something to be said just for that idea in and of itself so i i um i like the move bruce they're short of draft picks if, as you noted in your post today yeah. and so i, I just ever i i liked i think it was i think that was good business when you're short of picks uh when you're getting value back in in the trade in terms of you know historical value of of, of picks at, at these levels it's a good move what was your take yeah, we'll see what happens with that pick, where the Oilers actually use her, if that's what winds up going to Toronto in this uh, protracted Zach Hyman discussion. Or maybe they keep that one and move 116 to Toronto. We'll see. Uh, you know, yeah, I was looking at that thing, and when it got to number 18, and it was, it was um, Winnipeg's pick, and I'm going, you know, Winnipeg's, they're not picking a goalie. They got Hellebuck for the next foreseeable future. And then 19 was Nashville, and they picked a goalie in the first round last year, Askarov, the hotshot goalie last year. And I thought, there's no way they're doing it. So I was preparing my post, and I found a picture of Wallstead, and I wrote a little headline. And I said, I did a lead paragraph, or I was picked the first goalie in the first round for the third time in their history after Grant Fuhrer and Devin Dubnik, you know, and I had it all ready to go. And, and I had uh, um, the great... Uh, rankings of Wallstead all picked out, uh, which is number six, elite prospects, number number 12 by McKenzie, number five by McKean, number seven by, like, top 10 in a lot of lists. Not just top 20, top 10. And uh, a very highly ranked goalie. Uh, and then, of course, they traded down. I thought, well, maybe they're still going to get him. Then, no, of course, Minnesota immediately used the pick they got from the Oilers to take the goalie so that was that i deleted the picture and i deleted my headline and i deleted my lead paragraph <laughs> this was bruce this move <laughs> this move by ken holland was aimed directly at you this mm-hmm. was this was about this was about him getting you he, he, he i don't he, think so but he sure pissed <laughs> off a lot of other people i was just sort of mildly inconvenienced but i frankly i i wouldn't have minded had they picked the goalie Oh, I would have been happy too. just irrash. I would have been irrationally happy because we all had it in mind that the Oilers wanted a goalie. This was a highly ranked goalie. So having never seen the goalie, never seen it, these other players, I, I, I admit, I, if they had taken Wallstead, I would have been, oh, good. They got Wallstead without, you know, which I think is ridiculous, honestly. And I think most of the, like, I'm going to say this, Bruce, most of the, the anger from people who have never seen these players, it's ridiculous. They have no idea. They have no idea, and they should just—they should take that upon themselves that they don't know these players. And so, for them to judge what the Oilers did in terms of selecting this player or that player, come on! Like, 
What kind of thinking is that, that you, you think you know compared to the scouts who are paid to watch these players? And Bruce, the Oilers scouts, to give them some credit here, in the last five years have been pretty good. Now, we don't know the record in the last couple years, right? Because, you know, the, some of the players like Holloway is trending well, for instance, and, and yeah. Carter Savoy and some of the others are trending well, but we still don't know. But if you go the last five years when Bob Green's been here and Gretzky, Keith Gretzky, this I like I'm not inclined to criticize this group of scouts and just to take it out of hand they don't know what they're doing and not drafting this this goalie or or any other player who was available at that time they had a they they wanted another pick they thought that the probably that the player they want is still going to be there when they're drafting so they made the move and I I'm inclined to give them the benefit of the doubt I'm not always inclined to do that I've with you know with the some of the pro scouting moves I'm a little have been less inclined to yeah. do that because of the record that we've seen in the last few years so there, I, I've criticized the process but the process in terms of the amateur scouting in recent years has led to a, a farm system which finally has some talented hockey players right. so that's another reason I would say like keep your powder dry here uh, ladies and gentlemen you you don't know and these guys probably do is that fair? Yeah, that yeah, that's that's absolutely fair, and it, it's um, uh, there's a lot of anger out there in the world these days, David, and it, and it manifests itself in in strange ways. Uh, speaking of blue uh, bullet, Brad, Brad, this is a guy who isn't an angry person he seems quite a rational fellow i've known him you know i've never met the guy but i've i've known him been you know followers of each other dm'd and stuff for years uh very very keen on the draft does fantastic work and he does and he has for years uh uh, anyway um he tweeted a couple hours ago um jd burke warned that some players would be falling due to character issues unknown to the general public Wallstead is one of those players. Yeesh. So, well, I, and you know, I don't want to comment do we, on what that. What do we know? You know, what do we know? Yeah. I'm just saying that's, that's out yeah. there. Yeah. There's, then, uh, my, my greater point is there's always stuff out there that we don't know. And, yeah. you know, so for uh, for us to be saying this guy is, you know, greatest thing ever, you know, who the hell knows what's going on? I mean, uh and I, I had some interest in Wallstead because I actually have seen the guy play uh, among the few in the draft this year with all the hockey that's been cancelled lately and so on that uh, uh, that he played here in the uh, Halinka Gretzky Cup as a 15-year-old goalie in 2018, three summers ago now. He was a starting goalie for Sweden in that tournament at age 15. Same tournament that Philip Broberg came in. Broberry came in and, and uh, lit it up and wound up being the Oilers' first-round pick the next year. So obviously they're aware of the guy, and been. Uh, uh, I mean, everybody was aware of the guy, and I, I for whatever how- reason they chose to to go in another direction. So let's see what happens. Is my take rather than let's crucify the general manager because I liked how the other guy spelled his last name or whatever the reasons are, you know. I wonder how big this draft controversy will be in years. Like, will we remember this at all? Or is this just a one day thing? Cause there's often just those one day things, but there have been some big ones. Like, like people, when I, when I said this on Twitter, like, okay, I'm not joining in the, the group rage here. I can see people are angry. I'm like not doing that. People came back at me 
And, you know, and I also pointed out, like, I remember how mad people were when the Oilers, when all the smart people said, yo, you got to draft that, that Bennett guy, Sam Bennett and, Lee, you know, not Leon Dreisaitl. I remember the, the oh, outrage that day. So we're, we're, the fans aren't always, sometimes they're right, but they're not always right. Like, but there's been other ones. Like, so just a quick list, Bruce, of, I did a quick list of controversial ones Uh-oh. and most of them are last in the Twitter age, um, but yeah. the first one Ke- is uh, Steve Kelly, Shane Doan. The fans were right in that case. Mark I was there. I was there that day, and the fans were actually chanting "Don, Don, Don" when uh, the Oilers went down to the podium. And of course, Joe McGinley was also still on the board. Who would well, there been you go. Very good pick. No one was right. and <laughs> so Mark Antoine Pouliot, as opposed to Parise, uh, Drysaddle Bennett. There was Tyler versus Taylor, a big controversy. Ryan Murray versus Yakupov. Uh, Philip Brobury versus Zegras in Caulfield. Uh, Nurse and Nikushkin was also a little bit of a controversy, as I recall. And now we have Borgo versus Wallstead. I, I have a feeling this one's going to fade pretty fast, but maybe I'm maybe I'm incorrect about that. If if Wallstead sure. depends how they you know obviously if they if there's huge separation in their play, it won't fade. So it just goes on the growing list of Ken Holland's crimes against humanity. <laughs> the good news is that we're very soon reaching the reaching the statute of limitations, that being 280 characters. Once you get past 280 characters, you got to start winnowing some of them out. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, uh, yeah, I, the UN the what's the he's got a date in the Hague coming up is all I'm saying that guy that Ken Holland guy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I, I've got questions of my own, you know, about Holland, but uh, uh, questioning a draft choice on the night that he's drafted, 18-year-old kid, that, that ain't it. It's kind of that bad form, unless, unless you really are an expert. Oh. Like, I could see Sean Patrick Ryan having something to say here. And he actually did. He, You know, I think he was actually pretty charitable about the whole thing, uh, you know, at least in one tweet that I saw. So I can see people who actually do watch these players and having something to say and having an opinion, but other, you know, this is one of those moments, like maybe hold off. Bruce, uh, I, I, so from the consensus list, we can see who the biggest reaches in the draft were. And uh, I'll go through this quickly because it's not that interesting, I, I fear, but it is something that I'm interested in. Like who, who are the biggest reaches compared to the consensus and who are the biggest drops? Um, so the biggest reaches, and it's, it's interesting, Bruce, and this is this is a concept that that Brad McPherson has really uh, done great work on. The draft picks at the very top of the draft are worth so much more in terms of the the like the 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 than the draft picks later in the draft. And it's he bases it on career value. So the players taken first overall, when you average them all together, they have a career value of a hundred. And the when you uh, let me just scroll up here. 100. The second pick in the draft has a career value of 84. The third pick, 66. So this shows you on average how much the fourth pick, 57th. By the time you get down to the... uh, Let me just see here. I got to... Sorry, I got to rearrange these things a little bit. By the time you... So the... It just dives to the bottom and then flattens right out. Yeah. By the time you get to the second round, the the picks have a value of about six, six or seven or eight compared to a hundred. Mm-hmm. So so when the so the Oilers pick, uh, when the Oilers were picking, um, let me see, a twenty. 
they gained they apparently gained value they they the uh brad himself said that by his method uh, number 107 would make up the difference between 20 and 22 and they actually got a 90 so they they came out a little tiny bit ahead there so the draft pick at 22 or tw- it's at thir- it has a career value of, of 13 right so it's 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 but one eighth of the value of a first you'd have to trade eight of those picks to get the value of a of a first, first round first overall pick so so it's when people reach at the top of the draft actually even if you even if you only if the consensus says a player should be taken seventh overall like mason mctavish and he's taken third that is a huge reach in terms of draft value like that's the like the, you know some guy who might not be rated very highly might be taken with the 31st overall pick it's not much of a reach because th- those picks just aren't that valuable in comparison so the biggest reach that i'm seeing is uh, actually mason mctavish um he was ranked 7th overall by the consensus and he he was taken third the next biggest reach is kent johnson taken um uh, fifth overall he was ranked eighth. So that that's, a, again, in terms of career value, that's a huge mm-hmm. reach. And the third one, and this has both things going for it. Tyler Boucher was taken 10th um, overall. And um, he was he was ranked by the consensus as 41st, Bruce. So they, 30, 31 points difference. You know what that indicates to me is there is, unless they had some inside information that some other team was really keen about him, that's one where they might have wanted to trade down in the draft a little bit and 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 maybe take a risk but maybe they love tyler boucher so much that they were going to take that risk but that was the third biggest reach in terms of drops where players were ranked high and then dropped mm-hmm. yeah, william Eklund was ranked third by the consensus and he was taken seventh right. brant clark and that's and, and so again that's a that's a big value drop brant clark uh the experts had him at fifth he was uh, taken at eighth. Dylan Gunther was actually the biggest drop in value, overall value. He was ranked at fourth and was taken at ninth. And Jesper Wallstead um, was fourth on that list. He was ranked at 10th and dropped 10 points to 20. Uh, and um, But that's it's about half, the in terms of the, the magnitude of, of the drop, it's about half of the drop of, of Dylan Gunther's drop in value. So, um, yeah, he... We'll see, and good luck to the player to Jesper Wallstead with mm-hmm. with his new team. He may he may well turn out to be a great goalie. I mean, there's the whole thing about for a, such a long time NHL teams have been hesitant drafting goalies in the first round. It's I think it's happened. What is it? Four, ten times in the last fourteen years, or yeah, less than once a year in the in recent yeah, years. ten mm-hmm. times in the last fourteen years. It sounds right. A handful of those first picks have turned out mm-hmm. uh, of those ten that were taken. And some of them haven't, but this is the nature of the first round. Most players taken after the top 10 in the first round, it's, it starts to be like a one third better, a one quarter bet that they're going to be a decent player. Yeah. I had some people arguing that you can't, you can't be taking a chance on a goalie because you can get a goalie in a later round or in a trade, but you know what? You have defensemen and forwards in the first round who don't pan out and you can also certainly get defensemen and forwards in a trade. So, you know, this idea that somehow, I mean, what's different about the goalie is that you do need to hit it out of the park to to really win draft choice. It's, it's not like be a you number put one. him on the third pairing or the or the you know the bottom six, right? He's either in the net or he's not. Good point. So, I mean, Mason McTavish. I mean, uh, one publication of the draft analyst 
they listed different categories of player. They had McTavish listed number one with best shot, best sense, hockey sense, best defensive forward, and most competitive. And all the scouts that saw this guy playing at the U18s apparently were just raving about him. I had a friend saying that uh, uh, I was talking to a scout this morning and he told me he would go top five, couldn't stop gushing about him. This is Mason McTavish. Who, uh, yeah, he had a great tournament apparently. Like he just mm-hmm. took his game to a new level. Who 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 had all those, who, who had him as the toughest shot? Uh, who said that? The draft analyst. The draft, oh. That's uh, Steve Cornianos. Cornianos. Yeah. Unless so. he's changed, he had him at ninth overall in the draft. Unless yeah. he's changed but they, his but Yeah, they did. They they were number. He had him as number nine, but he was number one on all these different lists, and there were different things. Yeah, best not. defensive forward, best hockey sense, most competitive. Those are very different. Why is I be thinking that guy? Yeah, sounds sounds yeah. good to me. Anyway, so. congratulations to all these players drafted. It what a what a journey they've been on, and um, you know, tons of hard work and from their parents and coaches. So, mm-hmm. um, way to go, uh, way to go, gentlemen. For getting drafted, and there was one controversial pick. Was it Logan Mayu? Uh, Logan Mayu, yeah. And then that yeah, one. now I, he he wanted to back out of the. He he asked not to be drafted because he's yeah. involved in a in a sex. Uh, is it a criminal case in Sweden? Is it? I'm not sure of all the details. Scandal? I know it's a sordid situation. Sordid. And he's under the gun. Montreal you know, Canadiens they they issued an official statement. Uh, when they draft him in the first round, they didn't just draft the guy, they drafted him in the first round. And it was a reach. And by drafting pro- prospect Logan Mayu with the 31st overall pick, the Habs organization not only selected a promising hockey player, but also a young man who recently admitted to making a serious mistake. Canadians are aware of the situation, by no means minimize the severity of Logan's actions. Logan understands the impact. His recent public statement is a genuine acknowledgement of his poor behavior and the first step on his personal journey. We're making a commitment to accompany Logan on his journey by providing him with the tools to mature and the necessary support to guide him in his development. So, and, and raising awareness and all these. Was he 17 when this happened? Happened? So a young offender, even? Potentially. Listen, young. These listen. Guys are young, obviously, and they make did, mistakes. He, Lots of young he, guys make mistakes. And people, make, people make people make mistakes. He made a mistake, and and I give him credit for apologizing. Um, I, I give him even more credit. I, I thought he took the correct, I thought his stand was very interesting and I thought it was a good stand to take where he asked not to be drafted. Yeah. And, um, so I think, I do? think NHL teams should have respected that. Like, yeah. honestly, just yeah. give him time to like, to, to prove himself again as a human being and chill, just take the heat off of him. Cause yeah. this increases now the intensity of the glare and the heat again on this. It's not what was needed by anybody in this situation. I think it was a mistake by the Montreal Canadiens. And, uh, you know, I'm all for second chances, especially for young people who make a mistake. But he 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 asked for a certain course of action. I think it was a reasonable and, and considered an adult thing to do. And, um, you know, this is more, it, it kind of reeks of the Al Davis just, just win baby stuff, you know from the 70s which was kind of a 70s attitude and um the world's changed since then and i just think they should have not they should have listened to this kid to his agent to his family and just teams should have respected that and not taken him in this draft so that's my thought 
It's kind of the opposite of that situation last year with that kid in Arizona where they eventually renounced the guy and threw him back into the pool after they wasted a pick on the guy. Remember that, yeah. Arizona? Yeah. They didn't have any picks till the fourth round, and when they got one, they used one on this kid, and they kind of took the same argument that Montreal did. And uh, they got so much blowback on it that they wound up renouncing the pick. And we'll see what kind of blowback they got in Montreal. We can't even remember that kid's name. Can't, what, what was his name? Like, Do you even remember uh, no, there's been a lot of names go <laughs> go, go through the the filter and since that one. But here's a name for you, Mark Bergevin, whose past history included time with Chicago Blackhawks right at the time of their scandal. It's all over the news these days. And, uh, you know, Mark Bergevin, to be taking this step as GM of Montreal, is putting himself squarely in the spotlight. And uh, it's, he's going to, he's personally is going to take some serious blowback. And I'm sorry, he is not an 18 year old kid. Yeah, I think he should have. I've made my point. Yeah. All right. Um, first, let's talk about Zach Hyman. And I'll give a little bit of the background here because I wrote about it most recently. Um, Elliot Friedman was on Bob Stoffer's show. And. Um, Bob was Bob was wondering if Toronto was going to have another go at Hyman, right? And Freeman basically shut that down. He said, "I think it's done." Quote, he, quote, "I think it's done. I think Hyman is going to be an Oiler one way or another." And Bob returned to that idea later that maybe it's not done between the Leafs and Hyman. And Elliot just said, "I think you guys are getting Hyman, just so you know." Mm-hmm. And when he said that, it was just really clear that Elliot Freeman had talked to either Hyman or Hyman's agent. Or someone who knew exactly that this was later than confirmed later this afternoon. Terry Koshen of the Toronto Sun reports Hyman's agent, Todd Reynolds, quote, Zach will be signing elsewhere. He won't be returning to Toronto. Agreement in place with Oilers, Holland wow. and Dubas working on compensation. So it's not like, listen, th- things have fallen apart in the past as recently as the Adam Larson thing, but that was more like an 85, 90% thing. This is sounding like Mm 99.95 in terms of certainty here. And it sounds like it is like, it sounds like the player has decided and um, this, this is, this is going to happen. So Bruce, you know, I, I'm not going to re you know, go back on my initial assessment that this isn't like in in terms of the long-term risk of the contract, this is a very iffy deal. I still think that. That said, there is a there is a frame, um, another way of looking at this deal that Mark Spector first argued, and other people have argued, and I actually think it's got a lot of merit. And this is this is the idea of the McDavid Drysaddle window. Yeah. You have these players, and in the modern NHL, you only have them for as long as they're signed. Mm-hmm. Connor McDavid will be a free agent. I think he's got five years left on his deal, yep. Drysaddle four. Yep. So. Coming up fast is faster than we'd mm-hmm. like to think is the end of these players' first contracts in Edmonton. There is this window to win now. There's right. 32 teams in the NHL. You are going to have to take some gambles and some risks if you want to win in the NHL. I have no doubt about that. Yep. So if if that is the idea that you're going to get the best possible team that you can put together for the next couple of years, and you're actually going to sell out the future, probably knowingly that you, you are doing some really risky things for mm-hmm. five, six, seven, right. eight years from now, 
you you're doing that. You know that you're the owner of the team is w- aware of that. It's not having something pulled over his eyes. He's he Daryl Cates. You know Ken Holland might not be here eight years from now, but I think Daryl Cates is hoping to be or to, to have his son running the team. You know th- this is this is important to him. So with the idea of winning now and having this McDavid window. I can accept this. I, I accept this deal. I get this deal. I get that thinking that makes sense to me, mm-hmm. even though, you know, Mr. Mm-hmm. Actuarial table that I am in terms of looking at, mm-hmm. you know, age, aging curves with these players. I'm really skeptical about the deal. Bruce Hyman is probably for the next couple of years. He's one of the best players. I think you could have with Connor McDavid, because I really do think, from what I've seen of him, and I'm not an expert on this player, but what I see seen of him myself and hear about him, he's a really smart defensive hockey player. He's and he's great on the boards. He's tough in front of the net. He doesn't need the puck to succeed. Mm-hmm. He's he is a glue player like Patrick Maroon plus that I think is going to work very well with Connor McDavid. And this answers just such a huge question in the Edmonton Oilers lineup, filling this spot on McDavid's wing, and then having. Probably pull your RV on the other side. So you don't have to keep sliding Leon Dreisel up there, which I think distorts the team and and lessens the team, lessens both of those players. So you got this great first line. You got this great second line with the, the dynamite line. You might have, Bruce, the top two. The Oilers might have, if you compare the Oilers' top two lines in the NHL to every other team in the NHL, the Oilers might have the top two lines in the NHL uh, in comparison. So I'm liking it in that way and i'll shut up now sorry but i'll throw mm-hmm. in there what's your thought oh i wrote at some length today uh and uh, about the orders uh sacrificing of future draft choices which i've been doing persistently now for the last five years and and further back than that but the, this is the fourth of five consecutive years that the orders entered the draft uh minus uh one or two draft picks from the full complement of seven which it seems like an unsustainable long-term policy uh but they've reached the point where uh even if you make a good draft pick on the second day of the draft the guy's three to five years away typically from making an impact in nhl at least a positive yeah. impact and we're four to five years away from the expiration of both of the dry and mcdavid contracts so i wrote poorly at first about how the uh, window was closing on mcdavid and dry which of course is grossly premature and I got called out in the comments section and I responded and I also fixed what I wrote to say what I meant to say all along which is the window is closing with respect to projecting into the future what you can get out of a draft pick if the guy's five years away and he finally comes through the year after McDavid is done then he's not going to help you as much as maybe something you can get in the shorter term so I want to kind of on the fence in terms of, I really hate going into a draft down picks and I really hate it when when they they first of all they got weakness in their lineup because they haven't converted picks in the past into decent players who can play middle middle six and you know support uh roles on the team to the point that they wind up having holes that need to be filled, you know, band-aided in the short term by trading away a third or a fourth or a fifth round pick to get, you know, Mike Brown or Jared Smithson or Mark Fistrick or Ben Scrivens, you know, and then I've just done it over and over again. 
But my bigger criticism is they never seem to ever, ever win those trades. I mean, they, they got Patrick Maroon. That was one decent trade that they made of a, you know, a pick for a, for a player. But the Band-Aids never seem to stop the bleeding. <laughs> so that's my bigger criticism. Win a trade. Let's win a freaking trade once in a while. So what do you think about the Hyman thing, though, Bruce? Well, that, uh, yeah, sorry. Let's go back to Hyman. <laughs> I... I uh, that's that's more. I mean, it's it's a parallel branch of the same kind of thinking that you know that you can look at that contract and say eight years. That's insane. He's going to be 36 at the end of it, and they're still going to be paying him five million dollars. And the chances of him covering that bet are pretty slim. Uh, but you know what? The first four years of that contract are more important than the second four, and you can bring the, the drive the value or you know the cap hit down by extending the contract there's actual uh, 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 an actuarial argument that can be made in favor of it even as the long-term outlook becomes poorer it's not the long-term outlook that's most important it's the short to medium term outlook and finding a winger for mcdavid uh, and dryside whichever way the the, the line mates wind up working out and, and clicking with McDavid seems to be tougher than uh, than you might expect. He's not Wayne Gretzky. It's a different style of player that will succeed and click with Connor McDavid. Uh, but uh, uh, Hyman is a, you know, a reasonable bet. Like he's got, uh, uh, he's had four excellent years in a row, really five, right from his rookie year. He was a 24-year-old rookie though. So, he, you know, he was a late bloomer, but he's always played with skill. Uh, played part of the time with skill. He played with uh, his top three line mates this year were were Marner, uh, Tavares, and Matthews. That's the three guys he played with the most. Uh, and that said, when when Toronto came into Edmonton in uh, late February, early March, and kicked the crap out of Edmonton three nights in a row by a combined score of 13 to 1, lest we forget, uh, Hyman lined up on a line with uh, Alexei Mikheyev and uh, Pierre Engvall, Toronto's third line. Not exactly. And they kicked the holy hell out of Edmonton, that <laughs> line, in all three games. They were phenomenal. And Hyman was the driver on that line. Like, I yeah. thought he was the best player, you know, if not on, you know, if not in the game, he was clearly the best player on, on a very strong line. Edmonton just couldn't match those guys. Whereas Toronto could throw out that line against any order line and not worry about, you know, getting overmatched. So uh, uh, he does have some versatility, Hyman, and he, he's, I see him as a very good offensive player. I'm getting mixed reviews on his defense, but uh, I think, you know, he's a good, smart player, very competitive, very good F1, like first guy in winning the battles in the corner, digging the puck out. You dig the puck out onto the right stick, and good things are going to happen. Yeah, so it sounds like we're both coming around to this, Bruce. Like, because we were both fairly negative. Well, they have they had to do something on the top six. Yeah, right. They had to. They've had five or four forwards in and the top six that were any good. This strikes me as a better bet. Like, you know, I was going, I was thinking, like, go for the Tyson Berry, go for the Tyson Berry contract, right? Like Thomas Tatar or mm-hmm. Jaden Schwartz. That's, you know, they could still maybe get one of those guys. Yep. They could, there, there might be a possibility to still bring in a player like that. So they're going with Hyman. You know, would I have preferred to go, you know, 
if Hyman is a lot better than Tatar right now, and chances are he is, you know, I, I guess I, I hadn't been thinking. What I've been thinking mostly is Milan Lucic and James Neal and all these other contracts that have worked contracts. out so badly. These contracts have just been one disaster after another. And just that thought, oh God, if we get in another one of these, this is this is the like it's so much riding on on this contract. But on the other hand, that is also the reality of the NHL. There's only so many players you have the opportunity to get, and you got to bring them in on a term that will actually bring them in. And so, uh, if if this is the deal, if this is the best they can do. This is this is a pretty good player, and he could help them win, compete for the Stanley Cup for the next three or four years. You know, so. The, the people defending this trade, of course, are bringing up names like the name that I brought up long ago. Like, you got to find your Chris Kunitz for... for I've seen Tom other McKibbity. people are repeating that lately. They, they, now, they're saying, like, Hyman is going to be Chris Kunitz. Now, I want him to be that. Yeah. But they're, but the, here's hope. here's the thing. These players really are the exception to the general rule. The player like Kunitz, who can keep it going into his 30s, or, you know, the... Mand- mandatory 1970 sports reference, Wayne Cashman, you know, still going strong at 34, 35, 36 for the Boston Bruins. There are players, physical wingers who who do that. And hey, I hope Zach Hyman's that, but let's, right. you can be honest about it and say he's got about a one in three or one in four chance of being, having that kind of longevity. It's not great odds that at, at age 35, 36, he's still going to be a pretty good player. More likely he's not. So, but even with that in mind, could this work for the Oilers? And it, yeah, if it does, if if it wins you a Stanley Cup in the next two or three or four years in the McDavid window, that is that's that's right. how you that's how you judge this trade, not what happens later. If you win a Stanley Cup, which is so hard to do, especially for Canadian teams, honestly, right. then you, this trade is a win. And this trade in terms of winning the Stanley Cup, is a concrete move, a step forward in terms of winning that cup. So that's why I've come to to support the support the move. The cynical side of me says, orders are looking to try and improve themselves so they can do better in the playoffs. So I know, let's go out and get a guy from Toronto Maple Leafs who haven't won a series since 2004. <laughs> There's lots of guys on the Toronto Maple Leafs I'd like at, on the Oilers. At, yeah, you look at yeah, you look at Hyman's <laughs> playoff record. And he scored one goal in every all five yeah. years in the playoffs in six or seven playoff games. One goal. This year he pumped 25 shots. So, you know that he was certainly was driving the the play, but he wasn't able to solve Carey Price. You know, and Toronto was the better. Like even in the last game, man, Toronto had way more scoring chances. If you know, I think anyway. Bruce, I want to get back to one thing you were talking about the prospects. Mm-hmm. You know, the poor drafting. And and there is one difference right now. Like, we don't have a lot of draft picks going forward, and I agree that the new players like Xavier Borgo, although with forwards, sometimes they can step up a lot quicker. Like, so if you yeah. drafted a goalie, like the window for a goalie is usually a lot longer than a forward. So this is another reason to take a, like a forward who's old in his draft year, like Borgo, you know, he might actually in a, in one or two or three years be helping the Oilers. That's a real possibility. Like if he's going to pan out, these forwards often pan out fast. Mm-hmm. It's an easier position defensively and offensive talent comes down to, you know, God-given skill often. Mm-hmm. But the, the the Oilers do have, for the first time, all kinds of players for the next two or three or 
one or two or three years are really going to help the Edmonton improve. And I'll just quickly go down our list of top 10 prospects on the orders. Evan Bouchard, Philip Broberry, Dylan Holloway, Dmitry Samarukov. So there's four players there who I, I'm really extremely bullish on. I think these are really good hockey players, and I would hate to see any of them traded this summer, which is you know why I was with the Duncan Keith thing when I heard possibility maybe iffy Samarukov thing. I got so upset about that. And then just below that, there's Raphael Lavoie, Tyler Benson, Ryan McLeod, Carter Savoy. And and then below that, there's William Logason, Michael Kesselring, Kirill Maximov, Tyler Tulio, Ilya Konovalov, Stuart Skinner, Cooper Marodi, Philip Berglund. This is, this is a list of, I think this is a list that the orders haven't had in a long time in terms of uh, the cupboard is full in a way it hasn't been. So there is that. Is our list better or worse than a typical NHL team? I mean, lots of NHL teams have have the cupboards bulging with uh, guys with promise. And, you know, I won't deny that, uh, I mean, all those guys have promise. Uh, obviously, not all of them are going to make it. Hopefully, more than, uh, uh, you know, a better than average percentage of them make it. But is there... Um, You'd have to see the latest rankings from each of the, from like people like Pronman and Wheeler mm-hmm. rank those systems. Right. And I don't think the orders have been at the very, in the top 10, this, this list. Right. I, I, if, if um, I'm not, but they might, you know, do they have, do they have that right? You know, they have more, they have more knowledge about all of these players than I do. So I, I've got to give them that. So I, you know, in terms of ranking this list, you'd have to go with them over what I say. But what I'm saying is, compared to recent years on the Oilers, at least in the last 15 years, this is the best list the Oilers would have had since the early 2000s when they had lots of good young players as well. Bruce, let's talk about this last thing, which is a, so our, uh, Kurt, and I don't know where Elliot Friedman said this, so I'm just going on Kurt Levin's uh, said reporting it on of Tim, this. He said it on Tim and Sid. Kurt said, uh, sent us a oh, he did. follow-up. And do you want to, do you want to, what did he say? He says, yeah, he said it on Tim and Tim and Fred's on Sportsnet, and he paraphrasing. He said, "Elliot talked to an Oilers player who said it was a fact." What I put in a was a quote from Elliot, uh, which is what you mentioned earlier uh, about uh, the one-for-one thing, which I don't have that specific one. In so front of here's me. here's Kurt's tweet that he okay. put out in public about it. So this yeah. is so so this was said on this. Uh, Tim and Fred, is that the new show? Tim and Friends. Tim and Friends. Okay, Fred Flintstone. All right. Sid Sid went away, and they now Tim and Friends. Tim and Friends. All right, here's here's what Kurt tweeted. Elliot Friedman confirming that a factor in Adam Larson leaving Edmonton was the incessant, incessant, and Kurt says, that's my word, not Elliot Friedman's. It was one-for-one drone from some in the market. Uh, Regarding the hall, hall trade, and the another quote from Friedman was he never really felt comfortable. And Bruce, uh, so th- I was referencing this before that I, I felt that there was over the top criticism of the player. Um, and and people might not think that that's criticism of the player, like saying, you know, and Bob McKenzie was the one who made that remark, made that joke. And it's really on Bob McKenzie as much as it is, like, honestly, as much, but f- repeated endlessly, yeah. endlessly, endlessly. People think they're being funny, and and it is funny. Like and and listen, fans have a right. This is really complicated. Fans have a right to say whatever they want on Twitter. Like I, it's, there's free speech, and 
if I was the PR person on the NHL on an NHL team, I would say I would say unless you have a really really good reason to be on Twitter, you must stay off social media. You should stay off social media. In fact, you know we're going to go around and delete it. And you know if someone really objects to that, you would say okay, you stay on social media. Everybody else, delete your Twitter, delete your Facebook, delete your Instagram, or have somebody else run it and never go on it yourself. Someone never else read. With a thick skin, run it. Never read. And then also tell your family and friends, tell your family and friends, whatever they read, whatever they hear on the Cult of Hockey podcast and all the other podcasts and radio, don't ever tell the player. Never mention it. Don't ever say it. That would be the rule that I would try to get through to the players. And and if they were on it, I would I would say, Block, 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 block people incessantly. In real life, Bruce, when we're dealing with people who are negative, nasty, aggressive, the smart person shuts those people out of their life. I don't see why it would be any different on social media. There's this whole idea on social media that you shouldn't block people. I completely disagree with it. I think it's bad advice. It's bad advice for 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 anyone, NHL hockey players and everybody else. If you're if you're getting harassed by people, block them. It's what we do in our lives. It's what we should do on social media. It should become the norm on social media. It should be considered a good thing. And I think people will start to have a better experience. The final thing I want to say on this is I think this this goes to me and you as well. We 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 engage in criticism, and I'm probably more critical than you are. I think so. We engage in criticism of players. Um, criticism of of the GM, the coach, everyone, and it's just it's just a reminder. Just just tone it down a little. Think about it. Think about it. You know, try to criticize the performance as opposed to the person. Don't be don't be personally insulting if you can avoid that. Um, think about the person you're writing about who might read that comment and, and what impact it might have on them. This is impressed on us in the newsroom that what we write is well, it's. It's, if it's defamatory, you can get sued. Right. And you also have to comport yourself with some good taste if, you know, you know, think about the other person. And mm-hmm. that's a, that's my final thought on it. And I, I'm going to think about that too. Just in terms of criticizing these players and everyone else involved in the owner's organization, just, just take a step back now and then and calm down a bit. Yeah, well, I think lots of the one-for-one trade was one for one criticism was in fact directed at peter shirelli uh but adam larson was definitely caught in the crossfire yeah uh, he, you know, he wouldn't feel yeah you know people thought it was a bad trade didn't necessarily blame larson but every time that statement was made he was being compared unfavorably to another past oiler and i'm not sure what it accomplished uh, kurt also points out that other factors that uh, uh, friedman mentioned besides that for uh, Larson's decision was uh, Oscar Kleffbaum leaving the team, effectively his yeah. best friend and longtime defense That's partner. And last year he played with five different partners that ran the gamut from, uh, you know, mistake-prone kids to uh, to uh, sluggish veterans, you know, and uh, anything in between. So he didn't really have a lot of constancy there. And also his father passing away in Edmonton, which I've mentioned myself, is just something that was a just a hammer on Adam Larson, and I, you know, that was uh, that was a horrible thing that happened with uh, Robert Larson. In terms of the timing, Bruce, when Holland spelled out the timing issue of the trade, sounded like about it fell apart at about the same moment that it became clear that Oscar Kleffbaum 
wasn't mm-hmm. going to be back in Edmonton this yeah. year and probably isn't going to be back at all. It, mm-hmm. it, it seemed like there was a coincidence of timing uh, where it went from re- really positive vibes to something changed then. So it's not surprising to hear that that was a factor of Clef Bomb not coming back. You lose your best right. buddy and that mm-hmm. changed a lot. So, yeah. Good luck to Adam Arson. Like he's such a fantastic hockey player, and I really, I really hate the the Kraken. <laughs> I really hate the Kraken for signing my one of my favorite hockey players. I'm not going to forgive them, but I, I don't hold anything against Adam Larson. He gave his all uh, for the Edmonton Oilers, and uh, just a just a great hockey player. I wish he was still with the Oilers. It's a big loss that they're huge trying loss. huge loss that they're trying to to, to fill today. Um, I watched a little bit of the podcast we put together that night, and man, I looked depressed. We, I was. To end, I was glum. Yeah, we and were. One of, yeah, I mean, just a personal favorite of mine uh, for reasons given over the years of you know just style of play and and his role defending the honor of his goalie. <laughs> you know, it it seems like there might be some. I don't know what the order is going to like. The Rasmus Ristolainen commanded a huge price. And again, this is a player I'm not that familiar with, but from what I do have seen of him, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Yanni Pitkinen, kind mm-hmm. of a high event hockey player. So I wasn't I, I wasn't too upset when the Oilers missed out, especially when I saw the price the the Philadelphia Flyers paid for Rasmus Ristolainen, a first and a second pick. And, and a good player, Robert Hag, like a good young defense. Yeah, good good young D man. So high price for Ristolainen. There will other options will present themselves. Um, Tyson Berry may come back. That's that's one possibility. And then you'd have to get your big Bobby Clobber on the left side, right? You'd have to on the for your third pairing on the left side. You'd need a really rough physical player. Um, I think they got they got to look at Kulikov. You know, like he seemed redundant with Larson. Without Larson, he brings something that uh, you know. There's aspects of his game that he brings that. Uh, that are useful, I think. Like he, you know, he's a uh, a mean stand-up kind of guy as well, and you know, play, plays a hard game. Like I, they got to look at it. I'm not saying they got to do it. I'm just saying they got to sort of reconsider yeah. in light of the fact they now need that style of defenseman that he fits. That yeah. maybe, you know, he's a little they, high event. I, I like Cuckoo's play a lot better. Mm-hmm. Like I really yeah. liked Slater Cuckoo last year. I thought he was very. I thought he was solid, solid de- positionally moving the puck. But he's more, he's not that guy. He's not the rough, the rough, tough guy. So anyway, you know, some names have come up like Josh Manson, Mm -hmm. who was an absolutely fantastic young hockey player in the 2017 playoffs for Anaheim. Puck moving defenseman who was absolutely fierce. He's since had injury problems, has missed a lot of time. But the Oilers will have some inside information on him, Bruce, from from his dad, uh, Mm -hmm. who's with the Oilers organization. So Dave Madsen is the coach, assistant coach in Bakersfield. And, um, you know, they'll know where Josh is at. He's got a year left on his contract in Anaheim. That strikes me as a really interesting idea, uh, is Josh Madsen. It, if they're getting positive reports about how healthy right. he is. Right. Um, I don't really know what else is out there, but in terms of that kind of player, but man, he would, that would be interesting. That would be an interesting signing. Also, yeah. a rumor about Ethan Bear. Frank Saravelli's talking about Ethan Bear on his trade list. Um, hmm. The only way I could see that happening is if they sign Tyson Berry, and, yeah. they, and they really I think need that's then. That's what he's guessing. Yeah, they really need then to trade Ethan Bear for a goalie or a third line center 
or uh, a different kind of defenseman. It's kind of a one for one. So no one, I don't think anyone wants to see Ethan Bear traded. He's a fan favorite. He's he's a young player developed in the organization who's developing and getting better. And by the end, by the end of the second half of last regular season was playing really strong hockey for the Oilers. So no one wants to see him traded. But um, you could see if they have to get the right mix that 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 might happen. Well, if I got to get the right mix, my my suggestion is don't sign Tyson Barry. Find someone else that makes for the right mix. Because even if you get rid of Ethan Barry, you still have Evan Bouchard and Tyson Barry with Barry sort of roadblocking Bouchard from the from the things that he could do well. And what happens if Bouchard blossoms? Now all of a sudden Barry is almost redundant, and you you're signing him to a three or four year deal at you know four and a half or five million dollars or whatever they come in at, and. Uh, uh, I'm not sure that's the play. Just because he's the guy they can talk to right now doesn't mean he's the one and only solution. I mean, that's that's fair all enough. along their play has been Bouchard is ready to move move up and take a more responsible role, and he's more fits the Barry role and certainly the Larson role. I mean, so I well, you know yeah. they just have to rethink it. Bear was a better defensive player than Tyson Barry. Tyson Tyson Barry was according to the work we do on scoring chances, he was the weakest defensive defense weakest defender when it came to you know stopping scoring chances he just leaked more than anybody else and and struggled in that area bear was considerably better especially as the year went on ethan bear got you know he had a few down moments in the playoffs but he, he was pretty strong hockey in the last uh 20 games of the season from ethan bear so well my my thought is they could take the formula in the year they were paying uh adam larson and the formula that they paid tyson berry last year uh and go and offer eight million to Dougie Hamilton. See what happens. Like, you know, because I got two young, cheap defensemen uh, locked up in Baron Bouchard. And if you get one sort of all-purpose big minute muncher guy at the top of the lineup, uh, I think there's worse solutions than that. But uh, Ken Holland put pay to that uh, yesterday in the press conference. He said they had no intention of big game hunting on the blue when really you know like say if you if you look at the budget in those terms the money is maybe there but i guess it isn't so one other thing today besides um um uh, uh and the number eight overall pick in 2013 the number four pick from that same draft seth jones another big right shot defenseman uh got dealt to chicago uh, in a major exchange that saw Adam Boquist, uh a first and a second and a future first all go from Chicago uh, to uh, Columbus. Uh, Columbus sent a, 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 the last pick in the first round to Chicago, but this Columbus got a harvest of draft choices and Adam Boquist for Seth Jones. But I look at that trade and think, you know, Edmonton set that up for Chicago. They couldn't have done it better. They took all the Duncan Keith's cap hit. They opened up $5.5 million of cap room for Chicago. And they sent Seth Jones' brother, for Pete's sake, to Chicago. And for doing those significant favors for Chicago and in, in, in their uh, in their now successful bid to uh, get uh, Seth Jones, uh, Edmonton had the... Uh, uh, wound up paying the draft choice. I still don't understand it, David. I just don't understand how that trade worked. And it's, I, I think 
Ken Holland got taken to the cleaners on that trade. And I turn around well, lately, Bruce, just, just and he says you can't trade him for nothing. And yet you turn around and you see uh, Islanders trading an old contract to uh, Arizona with three dra high draft picks just to get rid of the contract. And then you see Philadelphia sending uh, Goss to spare and two draft picks to Arizona. Nothing in return. They traded them for nothing. I'm not saying Gosses Barrel Lad is Duncan Keith. I'm saying, though, that all of them are overpaid players for the stage they are in their career. And yet somehow Edmonton gave up asset after asset after asset. And they set up Chicago for getting Seth Jones. So. Yeah, I had a kind of a different thought, honestly. Like, okay. and, and, like I'm not disagreeing actually with anything mm -hmm. you're saying. I just had a different thought, and it was oh. looks looks like the price for 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 good defensemen is pretty is pretty high oh. right now in the NHL. So, if you're if you and your scouts have looked at Duncan Keith and you think he's a good defenseman, mm -hmm. then you're okay with paying that price. And th this is the price for a good defenseman in the NHL. That's now, right. the the question comes. So that. That's that was the thought when I saw the price for for Seth Jones and and Kristalinen. Uh, uh, so um, we'll see. It all comes down to how Duncan Keith performs this year. And again, I didn't see him play, so I'm gonna just w withhold uh, reserve judgment on that. The, the other trade was OEL Bruce, which which mm. is uh, you know the orders have been. It was a really interesting trade, and I don't know what people are thinking of it. I I actually thought. Vancouver came out pretty well on that trade. It struck me. They got rid of some terrible contracts, but they're just for, they were all expiring contracts, just one year deal. So I guess it really does come down to um, how well OEL plays as well. And I have big questions about that. They could be, they could have moved from three bad, you know, some bad contracts that they just had and moved out to another bad contract that they're going to have. They moved out Louis Erickson, you know, the OEL in two or three years could be the new Louis Erickson. Or he could rebound and have a have a you know a, a second uh, a rebirth in Vancouver and be the, be what he was before. But they also got Connor Garland, who is mm -hmm. a really good young attacking hockey player. And suddenly the Canucks, you know that for next year at least, Bruce OAL's not he's not that old yet, and could could easily rebound for the next couple of years. And they got this Connor Garland. I, I like that trade from the Vancouver perspective. What about you? cost them a first round pick but they got rid of three count them three stinky yeah. contracts they got you know not not only louis erickson and his six million but antoine roussel and his three million and jay beagle and his three million all of them only had a year to run but this year coming up vancouver saves 12 million and even though they're paying oel eight and a quarter they're actually uh they're actually coming out ahead more than enough to pay connor garland so in the short term vancouver comes out of that well in the longer term, of course, they have that OEL contract for years to come, whereas all those other ones that they they just dumped were all going to be gone next year anyway. They just got rid of them a year early. But uh, it changes the equation in the immediate short term in the Pacific Division. I think Vancouver is going to be a lot tougher team next year than uh, than they were setting up to be, and uh, very proactive. Like that's that's three pretty pretty big name defensemen that all got uh, that all got moved today, isn't it? And so, and here, here, just one last thought on Seth Jones. He has one year to run on his contract from Columbus, 5.4 million. So next year, 26-year-old Seth Jones is going to be uh, turning 27, I guess, is going to be a uh, uh, lower cap hit than Duncan Keith. <laughs> 
Quinn Hughes is also a left shot defenseman. So OEL is going to find himself in the same position that he found himself in Arizona, unless he switches sides, uh, being the second left shot. He's a lot of money. What is it? 8.25 million per year for the next six or seven years. Um, for there was no a, retention, was there at all? Uh, maybe in the first year. I'm not, I can't recall. Yeah. It's interesting times in the NHL burst. I just, I hope that the orders, um, that, that Ken Holland has a few, you know, that this bag of tricks is not empty and he's going to, you know, there were some good signings last year, you know, the, the Barry signing, uh, top of that list. And, uh, I hope that we, we're going to be pleasantly surprised with a few more moves. And, and if not, like I've said this before, and I repeated it tonight, there, there are all these young players coming up and I, you know, I'd love to see some of them get a chance this year, Marodi and Benson, uh, at the top of that list. And, um, you know, Hall, Dil, Dylan Holloway uh, closing in on that. And, of course, Evan Bouchard. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. We will see what happens. Yes, there is retained salary on OEL. It looks like about $1 million. And I'm having trouble finding the actual line here. But it looks like, yeah, here it is, 12%. So $990,000 retained by uh, Arizona on that. So... Brings them down a little bit to ours. Now, uh, one last thought on Seth Jones. He did sign an eight-year extension with his new team. I'm not sure how that worked because I thought it had to be seven years unless you've been with the team for a while. But he signed an eight-year extension, so it, and it starts in 2022. So if you look him up in Cap Friendly or Puckpedia, you'll see a contract that expires in 2029-30. First one of those that I've seen. But also $9.5 million. And you know darn well that Darnell Nurse's agent's going to be looking at that and saying, that's our comparable right there, Seth Jones. Oh, I hope not. I hope not. Well, that's, I mean, they're, we, setting, but, they're setting the market. Well, yeah, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, nurse can be re-signed as of... Uh, yep. I like Seth Jones, he can be, yeah, he can be signed once you get to the off season. So, of course, some people are saying, you know, grind him down, grind, don't, you know, because he had a, he had a good high percentage shooting year, and this is a fair point. This is true. I, I think it's true. You know, his point total is a bit inflated. That said, um, you know, having just been through this Larson thing, <laughs> the whole idea of grinding people down, yeah. I don't know. I think. I think in in theory, people who have never negotiated much in their life are are really big on let's let's grind them down, and maybe some of them have negotiated things that I'm giving them not giving them proper credit. Maybe they maybe they would be better negotiators than most NHL GMs. Uh, certainly in the Peter Shirellian era, we were left wondering about some of his negotiation skills. Um, I don't know, grind down Darnell Nurse. I just as soon see him signed long term as soon as possible. I think that's what that would be the best thing for the stability of the Oilers franchise going forward. He's not that old. He can easily, you know, Darnell Nurse can really skate. Um, I think he'll be okay value through through the life of that contract. I, I want to see him get signed. That's my that's my uh, thought on that. Well, Chicago sure wanted to see Seth Jones get signed. They didn't just want that last year. They immediately came to terms with him on a very rich, you know, seventy six million dollar contract. Ooh, lordy. Yeah. Lordy, lordy. Hmm. 
All right, Bruce, any other thoughts? We got the draft tomorrow. Maybe if there's, we, we, We'll, we probably won't do a podcast tomorrow. You know, they, these are low round draft picks, so um, we'll just see. Unless there's a unless there's a big move, but uh, I'm 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 a even with what happened with Larson this week, the the Hyman thing. It was funny when Friedman said it was a done deal. I I was as negative negative as I had been initially on the trade when he said it was a done deal. I felt happy, mm-hmm. so it, it made me realize. Uh, I was I was hoping that this was going to go ahead, and I had to think, okay, why is that? Sort it through. So I and I do think there are some good reasons for it, but part of it could just be emotional, like jilted by Larson. I want to see someone pick Edmonton, so I I'll cop to that 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 may be part of the uh, what's going on with this particular Oilers fan. I felt the same way when Lucic p- picked Edmonton, and I knew it was a sugar high, but <laughs> it was yeah. you know yeah you know, that's big, a good way to put it big NHL. Uh, you know, highly recognized NHL player chooses Edmonton, and in that case, he actually had a higher money offer somewhere else. But he uh, he chose to come to Edmonton. But we've lived a rue that day. One final thought mm-hmm. that I was thinking of is like in the last three or four years, Bruce, through injury and and other and other issues, we have lost the Oilers have lost three really good top four D men in Andre Sekera. Oscar Clefbaum and Adam Larson. Yep. That's a really tough thing. Yep. Like in terms of the owners going forward, this is a really tough thing to deal with for any franchise to lose players like that. And it's and it hasn't been easy for Edmonton. They only rebounded from Sekera, you know, after McDavid and Drysaddle kind of uh, picked it up on the power play, especially the power play made up for a lot of things. Mike Smith came and helped in net. And Adam Larson rebounded on defense in a significant way. And that's that helped him get through Secker. Then the cleft bomb thing happens. Now this with Larson. They, yeah. they need more help on defense. And we'll see what they can do. I guess that's where I'll leave it. Can't disagree. Bruce, thanks for talking tonight. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.